0: Welcome back, everyone, to Pencils and Lipstick. This is episode 208. And if you're on YouTube, the sun is setting because I recorded this and didn't turn on my mic, but that's fine. We are going to re record this intro. Today, we have a fabulous interview with Gabriella Pereira. She is the instigator and founder of DIY MFA. Um, I've sort of been around different circles with Gabriella for probably three years now. I really respect what she does. I love listening to her whenever she's um, giving a workshop or teaching something. I'm always sure to like be there and listen to her. She knows a lot. I have a lot of respect for her and her knowledge on storytelling and being an author. So I wanted to have her in here to talk about, um, DIY MFA. We talk a lot about storytelling and maybe why you would get an MFA, but why you might not want to, and just join, her her program inside, which sounds fabulous to me, but her membership program, The Hub, is going to open December 4th. So as this goes out, it is November 27th. So you have time um, to click below on the diymfa.com forward slash join link. Or you can just type it out in there now, but you can click on it in the show notes below and get on the newsletter in order to find out when those doors are open. So the doors are only going to be open between December 4th and December 14th. So Gabriella Pereira is an author speaker and a self-proclaimed word nerd who wants to challenge the status quo of higher education. Her mission is to empower writers to apply an entrepreneurial mindset to their professional growth. Gabriella earned her MFA from the New School in New York. While undercover as a graduate student, she learned the inside scoop on MFA programs, invented a slew of writing tools, all her own, and developed a new, more effective way for writers to learn their craft. Now she shares what she discovered and helps writers around the world the knowledge without the college. I love that. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Gabriella, and you can hear from her more about this program. Okay, everyone, we are here with Gabriella Pereira. I am excited because I've seen her around a lot, especially once I started becoming very involved in writing and wanting to be in this indie author scene. Um, hello, Gabriella. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I think we know many people in common like uh, Nicole and Tracy and Daniel and so many people. But this is our first time actually chatting ourselves. So you are I know you mostly because you're the the creator, I guess, of DIY MFA. So. Before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about you personally, and then we'll get into like your writing life?
1: Yeah, so I am Gabriela Pereira. I'm the founder and instigator of DIY MFA, which is the do-it-yourself alternative to a Master of Fine Arts in writing. Basically, what I do is I help writers get the knowledge without the college, um, <laughs> <I like that. laughs>
0: or without the the debt. <laughs>
1: So that's essentially it. I mean, we basically have taken the curriculum that most traditional MFA programs use, and we've sort of rejigged it in a way that makes it more accessible, more affordable, and also just more practical, you know, that covers things that are more Um, that go beyond just the sort of literary scene um, and focus on
0: things like author platform and and stuff like that as well. Right. So if if nobody knew that you could get a master's in finance, like why why would somebody go back and get that? I mean, some people have it. I think I personally think it sounds marvelous, but (laughs) you just get to dissect. I don't know, writings all day long. But what what is the reason that people would go to college and and get that master's? So there are a lot of different reasons why someone would get a
1: Master of Fine Arts. Um, probably the reason that I hear most often is this idea that writers want to really dedicate themselves to the craft. Okay. And it's this idea that you're taking, you know, two or three years and you're kind of carving out that time and you're really doing a deep dive into the writing and you're sort of focusing in on that Um that's all well and good. It's wonderful if you've got two or three years. I've got great. two small children at home, so I can't exactly take two or three years to go off and do some writing in a cabin in the woods or something. Um, great, you know, it's <laughs> It sounds delightful, but it's pragmatically not, not feasible right. for a lot of people. Right. The other reason that a lot of people tend to get MFA program or MFA degrees is because they want to teach writing. So the MFA makes it such that you can, if you get a teaching job, if you're able to get a teaching job, you can teach at the college level. So I have a lot of colleagues who have graduated with their MFAs from the same program that I uh, went to, who have gone on to become adjunct professors, etc. The problem with that is that there is a huge overwhelming number of people who are graduating MFA programs, all of whom want to become adjunct professors. Uh, And there's a very small number of adjunct professorships available. So unless you're one of those lucky few, and you happen to have connections, or you happen to know people, and you're able to kind of navigate those waters, it can be kind of a a tough gig to get into the teaching in a traditional program, obviously, you can always be teaching independently, which is what I opted to do. But um, it's, you know, for if you wanted to get a Uh, if you wanted to get a job like in a college or something like that, you can do that with an MFA program. You don't necessarily need a PhD in creative writing in order to teach.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. So did you specifically go to get, because you wanted to teach writing or because you wanted to learn more about writing? You want, because I've heard that some people like their whole project is an actual book. Like they leave the MFA with a book Is that true? Okay.
1: Yes. So like at the, in the MFA program, um, the last semester that you, at least in the program that I was in, the last semester that we had was our thesis semester. And so that semester, basically you write your book, whatever the book is going to be that you're okay. writing and it's it's a little akin to like NaNoWriMo or something because you're writing like you know an entire book in like three yeah. months so maybe not quite the same pace but it's pretty pretty intensive pace because you're trying to get through as much of your book as you can Great. and um, you also have to write a literature thesis so you have to do a whole like analysis of a body of literature and things like that um, which is in my opinion that was the fun part like I had okay. way more fun with the analysis than I with the writing the creative writing
0: oh that's interesting that that sounds like a lot of work though cuz like you were saying before you you have to have that time to exactly to get exactly
1: like it's It's really intensive and, you know, there were a lot of people in my program. So the program that I went to had a, um, it was all the classes were at night so that people could actually have day jobs. Oh my word. Then when do you have your, when do you do your work? When do you actually do your writing? So it was, I I had a couple of friends who had day jobs during the MFA and it was challenging. It was a Mm -hmm. lot of hard work.
0: Right. I'm sure when you finish it, you feel very proud of yourself as you should, Um, but that sounds like like you're in it, <laughs> probably like any masters right at the end of it, you're supposed to apply everything you've learned into three months. Uh, and even I think that sounds even more intense than NaNoWriMo because you have to hand it over to somebody to be judged. So
1: yes. like, <laughs> yes. at least in one fairness. professor, right? We didn't have a thesis defense. Like I I actually had a, um, I have two masters. I have a master's in psychology also. And when I all got right. my master's in psychology, we actually had to like defend our thesis in front of a panel of professors. Yes. And that was really terrifying. Let me tell you, even though they were all my advisors, they were all rooting for me. They all wanted me to do well, but it was still really scary. So at least in the MFA program that I attended, there wasn't that, you know, thesis defense kind of scenario you just wrote your book and your advisor signed off on it and
0: uh, and then called it a day. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I guess at anything you write, you have that panel of they're called reviewers. So you yes. have those people, but at least you don't see their faces and you don't <laughs> have to like hear them in words, you know, their critique of you. Um, so when you finished your MFA, what what did you want to do? And then what how did that differ from or did it differ from what you ended up doing? So DIY MFA actually took me by surprise. Okay. So it was
1: not my intention to start a company and to start a movement. Like that was not my, my plan. I was uh, doing this MFA in writing for children. I had a manuscript of a middle grade novel that I was really excited about. There was an agent who was excited about it. I was ready to like go and submit it and all of that good stuff. And then I got this wacky idea like what if you could DIY your MFA? And that idea kind of took hold and um, it actually happened during graduation. Like I was sitting in graduation and I was thinking to myself, you know, like I'm expecting like the, the, the light to stream in through the stained glass windows of the rickety church where we're having the graduation ceremony. And I'm expecting like the skies to part and angel choirs to sing and all of that stuff. And none of that happened. And instead this like wacky idea just popped into my head. And I thought like, what if you could DIY it? And yeah. so I went home. I did what any self-respecting writer would do. I went home and I blogged about it. And this was back right. in 2010 where blogging was like the thing. The
0: thing I remember. I would wake yeah, up to- every right? day like and everyone the had their blogs. blogs.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so I went home and I blogged about it. And I figured, you know, it was going to go out into the ether and no one was going to pay attention to it and it was just going to be, you know, it was going to fizzle out. And instead, what ended up happening was the next day, I had like 25 emails in my inbox and like another 25 comments on that blog post. And let me tell you, I had 12 followers and only, and one of them was my mother. So like, I don't know where these people came
0: from. Oh my gosh, that's funny
1: it really showed that like this post like really got hold of people and this idea of you know DIYing your MFA really resonated and so then I started this was right at the you know in springtime like it was I think June ish, and so I thought okay I'm going to run an experiment and I'm going to see where this project goes, so I set aside my middle grade novel. And I decided, you know, there at the time, especially, there were all these challenges. You know, you had, like, the blogging the alphabet challenge in April. And you had, like, you know, Camp Nano in the summer and all of that. And NaNoWriMo in in November. And so I figured, like, I'd do my own little challenge. And it was a challenge to myself where I was going to blog every single day for the entire month of September about DIY MFA. And I figured if I got to the end of September and I a still had things to say about it and B hadn't driven away all of my followers <laughs> then maybe there was something to this idea interesting and okay I got to the end of September and I was still like going strong with excited about the the idea excited about the concept and my followers went from 12 to like 400 in the course of the month
0: oh so wow I was like
1: okay, maybe there's something to this. So I mindfully set aside my middle grade novel yet again, it'll probably reemerge someday in the future. Um, But at the moment, it's still in the bottom drawer. And uh, I decided to sort of dedicate myself full time to this concept and to see where it went.
0: Yeah. And just so that everyone remembers 2010 was like the years of Skype. So, yes, you know, like, there was, and Instagram wasn't around. I think maybe Instagram was a baby at that point. Yeah,
1: I think Instagram was like one year old or something like that. Yeah, if it had it, it really, had the funky
0: filters, and I yeah, mean, it yeah. wasn't you. We didn't think about using it for business. You had exactly. like Facebook, Twitter was a baby. If
1: yeah, ish. Twitter was like I remember I got on Twitter in like 2008. Yeah, and that was like early ish.
0: That's when you could like actually talk to famous writers because they were I know, I know,
1: right? You could like tweet somebody and like they'd actually know who you like, they'd tweet you back and you'd be like, Oh
0: my gosh, they I know I did it to like everyone. It's like, oh my gosh, they actually well to give you an
1: idea of how like low tech things were back then. When I ran my early semesters of our flagship course, our DIY MFA 101 course. Our calls, which are now run on Zoom, were actually done over a phone like party line, like it was oh one of those gosh, like yes. conference lines where you like you know please punch in your code and you. i been your in code. one of those
0: classes, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it was like that for semesters. I mean, it was like that for several years until Zoom came on the scene, and then I was like, oh, we can actually do this and like see each other. This is yeah. so much better.
0: But that's so cool that you you kind of got beyond beyond the barriers you know of like figuring out how could you do this because otherwise maybe you you would only be able to do it locally you know which does not grab everyone that might be interested in this so how did you go from okay everyone's interested in your blogging but you have to create a curriculum and then find people who are willing to to do the work (laughs) (laughs) enjoy the curriculum so what was that process like So I love
1: building curriculum. If there's like one thing that I could do all day and not get sick of it every single day, it would be building curriculum. It is my absolute favorite thing. (laughs) And so when I did that experiment, basically I thought of it as a curriculum. And so, you know, I knew that like I was going to have to blog for about four weeks, right? Because September is 30 day month, four weeks ish. And so I figured like, why don't I break it down by days of the week? So we had Mm -hmm. like Monday, I think was creativity day. And Tuesday was the craft and Wednesday was reading and Thursday was workshops. And, you know, so like each of the days of the week had their sort of topic. Mm -hmm. And then, and there were a lot of topics because there were seven days in the week. So there were like a lot of different, you know, branches to DIY Mm -hmm. MFA. And then once I kind of got into like, the guts of the curriculum, I started seeing how certain things fit into similar buckets. So I realized that like you could have, and so basically DIY MFA went from having like seven or eight different categories to going down to three. So basically DIY MFA consists of three things, write with focus, read with purpose, build your community. And so those three buckets, everything else kind of fit into them. So creativity, productivity, Uh, craft, those are all in the writing bucket. And then like reading literature and all of that good stuff is in the reading bucket. And then platform and workshops and conferences and community, that's all in the community bucket. Okay. So that's sort of how I built it out. Like at first it was sort of this big sprawling thing. And then I started like whittling it down until I finally got it to a point where it was a manageable thing. Then from there, it was just a matter of like figuring out what are the main components. Like if I'm going to build a course, I knew I wanted the course to be manageable. So I couldn't be much longer than like, I figured 10 weeks was the maximum. Okay. And so I figured like, what are the 10 topics that absolutely have to go into this course? And so I broke those down and those became, the, that course became our flagship 101 course.
0: Okay. And so what what do people... Need. I mean, I I assume with an actual traditional MFA, you would have most likely writers already, right? People who have some sort of experience. Is that true? Or am I To some degree. Sometimes you have folks who are pretty new, but you have to apply. So like you have to at least have written
1: enough that you can submit your, you know, portfolio or whatever they call it. Sure.
0: Sure. So how does that differ with your course? Like can Are people beginners? Are they like, how do you see those new um, entries into your flagship course?
1: So I'd say that the majority of people who come into our, and I'm talking about our flagship 101 Mm -hmm. course, because we have more advanced courses, but those like people have to have been in the writing space for a while. But in uh, our flagship course, which is sort of our foundational program, people are, it's about half and half newbies and people writers what I call writers in the trenches Mm. you know writers who are like in the thick of it writing a a project or working on a book or maybe they have a book in the bottom drawer but like they're working on their next book or something like that right um and so that generally tends to be the the group of people um what's really awesome is that now students who were like newbies when I ran the course back in 2014 are now getting published and getting like their books out and it's so it's it's really cool to see these writers who I knew like when they started and now yeah. they're like, you know, they're out there and they're doing it and they're making it that happen. so
0: fun. So what, what do you, what can you almost, um, I don't want to say promise, but what, what would you say people leave with like, and how is it different than, I mean, there's so many courses of finish your book or you know, right. some are good and some are, you know, I'm not sure how anybody gets through them. Um, So how how does it really differ having like that MFA perspective in your course? So what writers get out of the DIY MFA foundational program
1: is that they learn how to create an MFA style life. So it's not just that you're getting in, you're getting information, you're getting out, although you are getting a lot of information and it is designed to be. You know, used by writers who are in the trenches. So it's not just busy work. It's designed to sort of be amplifying and um, collaborating with the work you're already doing. Okay. The idea really is for writers to kind of rejig their whole outlook on the writing life, and to really build these three fundamental concepts into their writing life. So the writing, the reading, and the community. And I'd say the thing that really differentiates and makes DIY MFA stand out is the reading component, because there are a lot of programs out there that talk about community, or at least have community attached to the program. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole heck of a lot of programs that are all focused on the craft and on productivity and on mindset and all, all that good stuff amazing stuff, but that there's a lot of it out there, but there's not a whole lot of people talking about reading. And what we do at DIY MFA is we really break down like what is going on in a writer's brain when they're reading a piece of text and how can you make your brain do that and then translate that into your own writing.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So I think you're right. And I was my next question was going to be why the reading? <laughs> so <laughs> I've I've been through a couple of courses where it's very interesting to have that reading, especially if, you know, I went into linguistic sciences for mm-hmm. for college. And you know, you almost miss that. So yes. I would assume a lot of us haven't done this since like literature 101 of college, if <laughs> like possibly high school. So and and a lot of people will say, read your genre. Like that yep. might be like the extent of the reading. So why um, why do we need to keep reading? What do we need to keep reading? And how are you teaching it that it's not just us, you know, reading a novel for, for leisure?
1: Right. So for starters, the way you read as a writer, you're not going to read an entire book that way because it's mm. exhausting. Okay. And, you know, I've been told by a lot of writers uh, writers and students of mine that I've like ruined reading for them (laughs) because now they like read books and they're like, I can't turn my writer brain off. And I'm like, yes, mission accomplished. (laughs) But the whole idea is for you to be able to turn off that writer brain and be able to read for pleasure and enjoy your reading. But when you come to a part of your reading that is important, like you notice something, you know, that little like alarm bell goes off in your brain. You're like, Ooh, that's interesting. Look at what that author did there. Then you have the tools to be able to unpack that and to really dig in and analyze it. And really what it, comes down to is this is my like formula for how to read like a writer. You basically ask one question. How does the what reflect the why? Okay. That question is literally everything. Everything that you need to analyze, you can analyze with that question. So you might ask yourself like if a writer is using an image of uh, water in their in their writing you might ask them yourself like why is this water image you know how does this water image reflect the way the character's feeling in this scene okay how does the rut reflect the why so like you just sort of replace the how and the what and the why with whatever the things are the thing you're analyzing and then the sort of meaning behind it and once then once you have that question then it's just a question of analyzing it, of sitting down and thinking it through and coming up with an answer.
0: That's, that's a pretty concise answer to why does some settings in the, in, um, some stories and books or things work and why do some not? <laughs> like, exactly. you have like that gut feeling where you're like, why are they telling me this? Or you have that gut feeling of like, that's beautiful imagery. <laughs>
1: Exactly. And so then what you would do is you'd break it down and you'd look at like, you know, one of the settings that you're like, what the heck are they doing here?
0: Yeah. And
1: you'd say like, okay, how does the image of the tree reflect what the author's trying to say in this passage? How does the image of the frog reflect how the author is trying to, dis- you know, and you dissect it, like you slice and dice the the passage so that you really get into like, the word level analysis. Like for me, that's the part that I love with literature okay. is getting into that like word level analysis and figuring out like, why did the author use that word?
0: Yeah. that Because
1: yeah. I know so, like when I'm writing, I'm worrying about that one word too, you know? Right. So like if I'm doing that, then clearly the author's also doing that. Yeah. So why did they choose that one word?
0: Yeah. That's, I think, was it Fitzgerald who'd like spent four or was one of them in the 20s so it spent like 20 days just trying to figure out the one word and every yeah. news <laughs> editor insane. he's like just find another word you know uh maybe that's a myth but i like the story um so do you find it like how do you how do you read what do you bring to this 10 week and it sounds like like this diy mfa flagship course like are how many books are you reading or are you reading short stories are you just reading passages or like because maybe somebody's listening and they're like, that sounds like more hours in the day than I have to just read literature. <laughs> so the
1: literature is its own unit. So within okay. the course, we have like modules that are writing focused at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then we have our reading focus modules. They're sort of like a palate cleanser in the middle. And then we have the community focused modules at the end. Okay. Okay. And in the reading piece, you build your own reading plan. So writers are, and that's the whole idea of like writers building the MFA into their life. It's like, you have to be smart and be thoughtful and really think through how, you know, how can I make this sustainable? Because yes, you could read 20 books in a semester, but that's not sustainable. You're not going to be able to do that like consistently for a long period of time. But if you pace yourself and you say like, yeah, I could read a book every three weeks, then, you know, that's you know, not for nothing, that's like 15, 20 books that you might read in a year.
0: Right. So
1: that, you know, right away, you're like already kind of building and you're doing it in a way that's sustainable for yourself, that's sustainable around your writing.
0: Okay. And
1: the other thing that we um, emphasize at DIYMFA is that there's no set reading list. So mm. it's not like the professor gives you the syllabus and says, read these books. It's the that you make your own syllabus. And there's a whole methodology on that I've developed on how to put together your own syllabus so that you balance it out and make it so that you're, yes, you're reading in your genre, but you're also reading other things and you're balancing comps with other books and classics and yada, yadas. So like there's a whole system for like, that's actually one of the one of the lessons in the reading plan is the figuring out how you're gonna put together your own syllabus. Okay. But the whole idea is for writers to be able to build the reading into their lives in a sustainable way so that they can do it for the long haul and not just, you know, flash in the pan, do it for a few weeks and then it's over.
0: Yeah. Like look at that one year I read all those books (laughs) and then it never happened again. Exactly. Um, So do you ever have somebody like, renew their love for classics because of this, or like for different literature, for different genres. Because so I feel like we're forced to read certain books in school, which we aren't old enough to really understand, nor do we analyze them like you, you've you just laid out. <laughs> um, and sometimes we can end up hating certain genres or certain, like, oh, I can't, can't stand the classics or whatever. So have <laughs> you ever had somebody sort of, I don't know, fall in love again with different genres or anything like that?
1: Well, I've definitely had writers fall in love again with reading, you know, okay. like a lot of writers who are like, I know I'm supposed to read, but I've kind of fallen away from it. And then like, they just get really into it. And these are the writers who then say like, you've ruined reading for me. Like now I can't <laughs> stop reading like a writer and it's so awesome. And I can't wait to do more of it. So it's, yeah, a lot of like writers, I mean, the it's funny, the, the reading piece of our curriculum, is the piece that like nobody really wants it's yeah. just kind of tucked in there but everybody like hands down every student that I talk to about this say that that's their favorite part of the entire course that's so and that's the piece that they like wish would never go away like
0: yeah.
1: it's really funny
0: because I I have heard other people say, you know, you should read your genre and you should look at it like an editor or, you know, try to analyze the story, like how did they plot it out, you know, or try to break it down and things like that. But it sounds to me like you're really getting to a level of, it just sounds a bit different. It's it's a level deeper, maybe, like not so mechanical, but trying to figure out how how they did it in order for it to become almost second nature as I go and try to write my my stories
1: exactly I call it reading like a revolutionary you know that you're like you know because a lot of us are taught to read we're sort of taught to read in two different modes a lot of us are taught to read like collector's you know, we're collecting the information and like, okay, these are the characters and these are the plot points and these are the images. And this is a lot of like what, you know, my kids, for instance, when they have to answer questions about like, you know, they read a chapter in the, the class book and then they have to answer like, you know, what was Susie saying in chapter four? And yes. it's collecting information, right? Right. And then what happens when you're usually like in high school, college, in, in grad school, you start reading like a philosopher mm. and you're like <laughs> philosophizing about like, you know, what was the author feeling and what was the going on politically in that era and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's very highfalutin and whatnot. And it, that's all and good, but it doesn't really get you into the guts of like what's happening on the page right. and so the reason I call it re- uh, reading like a revolutionary is that you're sort of turning the paradigm on its head you're looking at the right re- the reading and you're asking yourself okay if they did it that way how mm. can I do that too right. and you're trying to like sort of borrow what you're what you're seeing in what you're reading and applying it to your own writing
0: yeah, which makes sense when your editor comes back and is like, don't just stick stuff in your story. You're like, yeah, but you told me to add setting. You know, <laughs> like we say a lot of these of these words and phrases in this world, you know, as editors, as writers, whatever. And it doesn't always make sense, you know, but I like how you're breaking it down of like, have it mean something, like have it have a why, not just exactly. a, a what, which that makes sense that it's simple it's applicable (laughs) i like things like this (laughs) um so what would you say to people who might be writing certain genres who i think i've heard from some who just don't like the idea of reading various pieces of literature because they're not trying to write a literary novel so how, how do you think it can help you know grabbing classics and grabbing um, all sorts of genres, as you said, as they're building this, how can it help them if they're writing, let's say, contemporary romance or or YA fantasy, which is huge now, or anything, any other genre? So first and foremost,
1: I'm going to share a rule that I have. And it is a rule that I I first implemented it. Um, actually it started in grad school. I had this professor who came in one day and he like handed us the syllabus and he's like, you're going to hate most of the books on the syllabus. So... (laughs) (laughs) and he he was he also brought like two bottles of wine so like I was just already like all right cool I'm with you guy but uh he was like you're gonna hate most of the books on the syllabus so I have one rule you have to give it a shot you have to read the first 10 pages and then if you can't get past the first 10 pages you can stop but you have to be able to explain to me in class why you stopped reading the book and I thought to myself that's like a really respectful of my time yeah. because a lot of professors give you like junk to read and you're right. you're just like why are you making me read this book and like spin my wheels because it's pointless
0: right
1: and uh, it, i also thought it was like that was really smart because he was making it such that like yes we had an out but we had to still explain why we didn't like the book why the book wasn't resonating with us so i kind of took that model i borrowed that from my professor when i started doing my podcast diy mfa radio where there was a period of time where we were just doing interviews all the time and it was just i was doing like three four interviews a week and it was exhausting. And I mm-hmm. would be interviewing these authors and I'd read their books. And so I got to a point where I was like, I can't get past like the first, you know, chunk, like I can't physically cannot read. There are not enough hours in the day for me to right. read an entire book. Right. And so I start. I instituted the 10% rule and this 10% rule has continued on. So with the podcast, I would read at least the first 10% of the book. And now this 10% rule has also carried out into my regular reading where if by the time I get Get to 10% of the book and Kindles are nice. Cause they sell you like exactly the percentage yeah. too. So like I, once I get to that 10%, I'm like, okay, I can, I'm done. I can put this book down if I don't like the book, but you know, with, with that, like it, it you know, you give the book a fair shake, but mm-hmm. then if you can't get past 10%, you, you can put it away. Like, and you can put it yeah. away guilt-free and say like, I'm not going to finish this book. It is not for me. Right. So I would like recommend for writers who are feeling like they don't want to read literary fiction or they don't want to read, you know, outside their genre because they worry that they're going to waste their time if they're reading mm-hmm. outside their genre or whatever. They don't want to read classics. Give a book a shot. Give it 10%. 10% is not going to take you that long. Like it probably will take you like 45 minutes to read right. 10% of an average book. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, give yourself 10%. And then if you don't like it, you've tried it and now, you know, you don't like it and you can try something else. Um, One of the things that I always recommend writers think about is that different genres are good at different things. So like romance is really good at character development. So if you want to understand characters, motivations and character development, reading romance can be a really great way to do that. Mm. Thrillers are amazing at pacing. So right. if you have a pacing problem in your book, pick up a thriller and read a thriller. Yes. World building. If you've got world building issues, pick up a historical novel, pick up a sci-fi novel, pick up a fantasy novel. Like those books are really good at world building. So mm. there are all these different like genres that kind of have their their thing like also like if you're really you need to figure out like the 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 little like maneuverings of a plot, mysteries are your jam. Like that's what you need to be reading. If you need to figure out like all the chess moves that you want your characters to make in a story. So like, think strategically too. And think about like, what are the problems you need to solve in your own project? And then read the things that are going to serve you. Like, don't just read, like, I don't read things willy nilly. I read things like knowing that they're going to be strategically helping me with whatever I want to
0: read. Oh, which is what you help your students do when you when they're creating their reading syllabus.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's the whole idea of like, when you're putting your reading list together, you wanna to be thinking about all these things and thinking about like, what is it that I need to be accomplishing in my own writing? And then what are the types of books that I could be reading that could, you know, fill those gaps for me?
0: Interesting. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I have picked up thrillers lately and I'm like, oh, look at that they easily skip five days exactly. i don't even care as a reader <laughs> you know, like so it's fine i can just implement these little tricks um, exactly. so i i assume that the the writing part you're probably pretty adept at helping people learn to write to get better at writing um because you have your mfa you've written books before uh, all all the things like that is there anything about that part of the of the flagship course that you want to talk about
1: yeah. So my approach to teaching writing, everything at DIY MFA is a little bit like outside the box. Okay. And so my approach to, you know, the fact that we focus so heavily on reading, the fact that like, you know, we're sort of taking this MFA angle, et cetera. So I have a background in graphic design. And before I even went into writing and into uh, this field, I I was actually a designer. And so I think of everything visually and I think of them in like mental models, like in diagrams, like pyramids and Venn diagrams and, you know, matrices with like, you know, crisscross and things like that. And so that's how I process the craft. And so that's how i teach the craft so like when we talk about revision we talk about revision with a pyramid when we talk about like point of view we look at venn diagrams and like the different venn diagrams explaining how different types of point of view operate when we talk about um world building we look at like sort of a bullseye kind of a diagram with like a Mm -hmm. small circle in the center and then it kind of ripples out so like everything that's craft related at DIY MFA tends to have some sort of a mental model attached to it. Right. Um, and that's sort of the foundation, like that's sort of the, the little out of the box thing that sort of ties everything together.
0: That sounds very helpful because I would assume most writers are visual. You know, I would assume so. Like that would just maybe help us break it down because you can say editing. And I was talking to a friend the other day and she's like, editing. Yeah, I know it'll take me this long but the truth is it's like can i break it down to what kind of editing am i doing <laughs> first i have <laughs> to do the developmental then i you know you're not going to do the pre-reading before you do the the story edit and just like page by page <laughs> like the hand then the computer then the possibly you know grant like it's a lot more than just that word i'm editing well you know. and even in like the developmental edit stage or like
1: before you get to a developmental editor, you're just revising yourself there. There are different layers that you want to focus on. Like you don't want to just go in with a red pen and like, you know, mark up chapter one, because you might end up trashing chapter one and starting in chapter two. And that just, you just waste a whole lot of time marking up chapter one and changing all the grammar when you could have just like skipped that. So, you know, there's like a whole process, like the pyramid method uh, has a whole process of like step-by-step what you do starting, you know, at the most foundational aspects of your editing and your revision, and then getting to like the finer and finer details
0: as you go up the pyramid. Interesting. I like that. So does somebody have to come with like a partial book or a whole book, or do you also work with short story writers? Um, What kind of writer and what do they need to bring?
1: It runs the gamut. And we've had, I mean, for the most part, writers tend to be writing novels, or at least they tend to want to be writing novels. But we've had a lot of poets in the class. We've had a lot of uh, essayists in the class, memoirists in the class. Um, What else? Uh, Short story writers in the class, short story writers who then decide to write novels, novelists who then decide (laughs) to write short stories, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. So it really, I mean, the whole, that's the, the whole MFA idea is the DIY MFA concept is that it's not about learning to write a specific thing. It's not right. about the thing. It's about the process. The process. And it's yeah. about
0: building that sustainable process into your life. Right. Which goes, like you said, you have not only the craft, but you have the community and then just so- building like your your author life, which I think is something that we don't talk enough about because you might finish your novel, but you usually want to then write another one I <laughs> I know. Know, like, and not every month is NaNoWriMo and not every semester your kids are doing well in school, right? So, right? so you're actually teaching a sustainable way to possibly be a writer the rest of your life. Exactly. Exactly. So then what does the community, I mean, it sounds wonderful just to be surrounded by other writers, like, and to be exposed to their writing, but what else does the DIY MFA include in that community um, pillar? So, the community has sort of two sides to it. There's the
1: actual community. So, like, we have community calls, we run study halls, we have a Facebook group so that people can be connecting, you know, asynchronously. And obviously, not everybody can make a Zoom call because we have people around the globe. And so sometimes it's like two in the morning for somebody uh, when it's a call time. But uh, so there's that piece of the community where the students can sort of become their own community. And one okay. of the things that we do with this program is that it's cumulative in the sense that like, once you're in, you're in for life and you can oh. keep taking the course again and again,
0: oh, cool. as many
1: times as you want. So... Students who are alums, like, you know, we've had alums who maybe took the course in 2014, and then they're like, I'm coming back in 2022, you know, and just oh, like nice. they hop back in. And it's, you know, it's just open for whoever's been in any of the previous cohorts to continue coming back. So there's this nice mix also of alums and new students like usually it's about 50 50 on the calls of like students who are alums and students who are new so like the new students can also be learning from their alums who are maybe like a half step ahead of where they are right now and can kind of you know help them along and give them some advice and whatnot. Um, So there's that piece of the community. But then there's also the like actually teaching people some of like how to navigate certain types of community elements. So for example, we there's sort of three pieces of community for writers. There's community with your peers, there's community with regard to your platform, and there's community with regard to publishing. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of hit all three of those things. In fairness, we don't go super deep into self publishing or indie publishing, because I don't have experience in that, like I'm traditionally published, so mm-hmm. I obviously can't teach something that I have not done myself. Sure. Um, but in terms of like everything else, you know, the the community with your peers, we talk about things like, how do you navigate a writer's conference? Like, how do you actually network? And, you know, because a lot of writers are introverts, and they're kind of nervous about putting themselves out there. So I'm also an introvert, even though it might not seem like it on a call like this, but I'm very introverted. And so you know, I have all these little like, tips and tricks that I've used to kind of help break the ice and help kind of navigate and figure out how I'm going to you know, get through whatever networking thing I need to do. Um, Things like navigating a workshop. Like if you want to put together a critique group, how do you run a critique group? How do you put it together? How do you find people? How do you like actually figure out, you know, how to manage the the critique group. And I was going to
0: say, how, how do you get people to do the work? To do the work <laughs> and to
1: submit things and all of that. Um, and so there, there's all of those types of things that are like the peer level okay. things. And yeah. then there's, we do a primer on platform, even though we have an advanced course that's only dedicated to platform. Um, we I felt like it wouldn't, it would have been a disservice to our new students if okay. they didn't at least have like, the basic knowledge like at least have an idea of what's coming down the pipeline so that even if they're not ready to start building their platform yet they at least they're not going to be blindsided because they you know didn't know what was coming and then with the publishing side of things we look at things like you know how do you submit to literary magazines how do you write a query letter like how do you navigate all of those sort of typical publishing things like how do you submit guest posts if you want to like get your name out there and things like that right So.
0: so even if you're following the traditionally published route you still need to build a platform you still need to i mean i know you have to write query letters still but what has changed i guess since 2010 to now um what is expected of you because i feel like we we had the idea that if you were traditionally published you could to just go back to your writing office and write more.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, 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 unfortunately not. If you're traditionally published, publishers are going to expect you to promote your book. And so you have a platform. So even though you are, even though the publisher may have a budget to be able to support you in promoting Mm -hmm. your book, the thing is no one is ever going to be as good an advocate for your book as you are mm, like, like
0: that, not
1: yeah. even your publicist not even your agent not even your no matter how much your agent loves you they're still not going to be the best advocate for your book you are the best right, advocate right, for your book right and so at the end of the day it puts the the control it puts the writer in the driver's seat yeah. and having that ability like I actually am very much in favor of writers having more liberty and having more uh, room to be able to play in that marketing space because I feel like it empowers writers yeah. it means that writers are now the ones who can be driving the bus as opposed to just sort of having the publisher doing whatever and you're just kind of like nodding and yeah. going okay <laughs> Like
0: thanks 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 yeah I feel like it there was a there was a point of like, yeah, you just had to do whatever. I remember Brandon Sanderson was telling his publisher, why are you pulling out a giant ad in the New York Times when that's not my reader? Like I'm a fantasy writer. (laughs) Like most likely New York Times, you know, are not reading my book. So it's a waste of money. He was almost, he was trying to help his publisher, you know, and his publisher's like, oh no, this is how we do it. So like, yeah. you're right, it will, it puts you more in the driver's seat. But to your other point, you have to then know how to navigate conferences and right, asking to be on podcasts. <laughs> exactly. And that's hard for us introverts. Isn't it? <laughs> it is, but it
1: eventually it gets easier, the yeah. more you do it, like if in true. the beginning, it's it's nerve-wracking, but then you kind of get in the swing of it and it just gets easier. So like writers who are watching this or listening to this and are like, oh my gosh, I I can't believe I'm gonna, I'm gonna what? I have to promote my book now. Right. Um it's it starts out being feeling like a lot, but then it becomes more manageable the yeah. more you do it.
0: And I can imagine being in a group like DIY MFA, you're kind of already practicing that with your fellow writers. And so you can kind of get the nervousness out a little bit. And you're right, the more you practice it. Um I mean, I've been doing this for five years. I think the first two years I would, you know, be so nervous I would be sweating every single time. (laughs) I would interview other people, you know, because it's just it's a new thing, right? So but the more you do the new thing, the the easier it is. And weirdly enough, it's hard to talk about our books at first, right? It takes practice.
1: It It is. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say from what you were saying is if you speak with confidence, people will believe you. Mm. So I remember like when the DIY MFA radio was like an itty bitty baby podcast back in 2014 and we had like no interviews or anything on there. Like we had like two interviews And I would go to back in the day, there was a conference or an event called Book Expo where Mm. all the publishers would be in the Javits Center in New York City. And it was this big thing. And like you could basically walk from booth to booth. It was amazing as a podcaster because you could basically get connections to the publicists at like all the different publishers in a day. It was amazing. And this was like, DIY MFA radio was like nothing at the time. And I would walk in, I had like my little one sheet with like, you know, graphics and like explaining, you know, what our podcast stats and like what our show was about. And like the two guests that we had had before, like listed on there. And I'd walk in and I'd be like, hi, my name is Gabriela Pereira. I'm the founder and instigator of DIY MFA. We also have a podcast called DIY MFA radio. I'd love to talk to you about getting some of your authors on the show." and the podcast, the publicist would all be like, Oh yeah, we've heard of that. And I'm like, really? No, you haven't. <laughs> like, <Okay>. really? <laughs> <laughs> like, really? You've heard of me? <laughs> like, you're
0: like, you're lying, but that's okay. I
1: still want your author. I, I mean it's sweet. It's sweet. But like at the same time, I was just like, Really? Like <laughs> And, and so a lot of that was just like walking in with confidence and being like, you know, I know what I knew what I could bring to the table. And so if you believe in your book, and you know that what you're bringing to the table is worthwhile and valuable, and then you just speak with confidence, people are going to believe you more often than not.
0: Right, right. Which I would assume a lot of people leave your flagship course and your courses afterwards with a lot more confidence just as a writer and in their work, right? Exactly. And I think going back to what you were saying before about sort of practicing
1: that, I think like also having that community behind you and knowing that there are like people who are rooting for you. And I mean, it's really sweet, like our in, I can't remember if this was in our flagship course, or if it's in our membership, but like people, when a writer would like publish their book, like other students would read their book and like be talking about their book on calls and saying like, I just finished so-and-so's book and it's so good. And, you know, like there's that sort of collegial, uh, vibe of like supporting each other, which is just really cool.
0: That's so nice because I feel right now, it's like swimming with sharks at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like everyone that you don't know out in TikTok world and Goodreads world like they're looking to give you the one star. Yeah. <laughs> now maybe maybe that's just like from my, you know, vantage point but some some reviewers are really intimidating you know, so it would be nice to have that group of people who are like, "No, no. It's just not the book for them. Your book is, you know, I liked your book. I, I'm not looking to hate it. I read it." Exactly. For, <laughs> for what it was, right? Exactly. Yes, it's it's That's good for someone's mental health. I feel like (laughs) that would be good. So what is it as we go into December and we're about to go into 2024, which is insane. (laughs) Um, What is it um, that DIY MFA is offering writers? Can you just jump in whenever do things start at a certain time? Um, How are you guys going into 2024?
1: So our flagship course and our other courses, we have a couple of other courses that we author, offer, like the uh, platform course. We also have a course on creativity and it's called creative flow. Um, oh, and cool. so those courses are all courses that start at a specific time. Okay. And the reason for that is because we want people to have that collegialness and that right. cohort, you know, that continuity right. of being able to like be part of the community and whatnot. Sure. So um those courses only open up at specific times throughout the year. But what we have that sort of runs year round is our membership program. Okay. Now our membership program only opens up to new members like once or twice a year, I think twice a year right now is what we do. And one of the times that we're opening it up is going to be in December right now. So oh, that's wonderful. if folks are listen, uh, interested, um, you know, that's definitely some, if, something to have on your radar.
0: And so what, what can they expect from the membership? Is this like a dipping their toes into what DIY MFA has to offer? Is it something completely different than than the courses? Um, how How is it different? So the membership is, uh,
1: and it's called the hub. So the hub okay. is uh, designed to complement our courses, but it can okay. also be something that you do sort of as a you know, just on its own, but basically it hits those same three pillars. So like there's writing related resources. So we have a whole library of webinars and mini courses and all sorts of stuff, stuff that some of these things are offered with our courses. And some of them are like completely dedicated just for the hub. Um, We have a whole archive of like over 80 interviews from our summits that we've done. So all of our past summits are archived in there. And then we have regular calls. So we have one craft related call every month and one uh, sort of community discussion call every month. Oh, cool. And so that's like the community really continues through the hub. Like um, the hub really started because... the the courses would end and people would be like, I don't want this to be over. And so I was like, what can I build to like help it not be over? And so the hub became sort of the natural uh, extension of our courses, but now it's sort of become its own thing as well. And there's a really great uh, community inside the hub.
0: Okay, so you can find community there, but you can also find like learning resources, I guess, as you wait for whatever course it is that you want to jump into. Exactly. Um And then in 2024, will your flagship course
1: open? I have not decided yet on exact dates and on exactly what we're going to be doing. So um, the best thing for folks who are uh, interested in wondering about it is to get on my email list Okay. because that way you can always like our email, our word nerds, that's what I call folks on my email list and my community word nerds always here about what's happening next first. Okay. So they always get the the inside scoop.
0: And so they can go to diymfa.com and they can get on the on the mailing list. Yes,
1: the best place to go is diymfa.com/join j o i n and that page will you can just sign up for the newsletter you'll actually get our starter kit as part of that as well okay. so it's like a little like kit that dips your toe into each of the three pillars the writing the reading and the community um and so it's like kind of a nice primer for for all of diy mfa stuff
0: oh wonderful okay well we will def we will have the links in the show notes we'll have the diy mfa.com forward slash join for the newsletter and then we'll have I'm sure a link going straight to the hub, and then um, we'll have all your other links, the DIY MFA radio. People can go binge on your podcast, um, and then they can connect with you on, I'm sure, social media. What is is the social media you're on the most, or are do you try so, to avoid it? <laughs> I kind of avoid social media. Yeah. So I think we're all getting to that point where we're like, nah, you'll find me in the hub, guys. Yeah. You'll find Gabriella in the hub.
1: <laughs> that's really, I mean, really, that's where I hang out and like the email, email list. So right, like right. the newsletter is really like the best way to connect with me is through the
0: newsletter wonderful okay well thank you so much gabriella for coming on and talking with us i feel like we could talk more crafts we'll have to have you on again sometimes but thank you for telling us what diy mfa is it sounds fascinating i would encourage everyone to go check it out thank you so much for having me it's been such a pleasure